Morning is a paid program on 630 WLAP. This is the Tom Dupree Show on News Radio 630 WLAP and WLAP.com. Welcome to the camp. I guess you all know why we're here. My name is Tommy, and I became aware this year. If you want to follow me, you've got to play pinball. And put in your earplugs, put on your eye shades, you know where to put the cork. Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show. This week we have joining us John Bostock, founder of Truman's and new author of The Elephant's Dilemma, Break Free and Reimagine Your Future at Work. Um, John is now based in New Orleans, Louisiana, and we are so lucky to have him today. Here's our host, Tom Dupree. John, uh, welcome back to the Tom Dupree Show. You were on here once, uh, I think a year or so ago. And that was when you were introducing uh, Truman's to the public. And uh, I just wanted to ask you before we, you know, get into things here, how's it going with Truman's? Well, you know, first of all, Tom, it's amazing to be back. And I think after the show, you threatened me and said, if I ever left the state of Kentucky, I I was never allowed back in your show. And I moved to New Orleans and I'm back. So yeah. I feel super excited uh, about that. But look, you know, it has been about a year um, since since we launched and since we told the story on your show. And things have been extraordinary. You know, the business has grown. Uh, we've, we've obviously uh, interacted with tens of thousands of new customers. And the world is a different place today. And I think building a startup that was created to be really agile and fast moving has proven to be something that is super important. You know, look at, look at the world today, look at just how much it's changed. So Truman's the, the product offering is, as I recall, four different types of cleaners that, um, you guys, don't sell the water you sell the capsule that uh you 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 break the capsule with by sticking the uh applicator uh, hose in it and it and it drips down into the water thereby forming the uh, the cleaner and they're all different colors so you can tell them apart 
And that's pretty much, I think there's four of them. And, and that's pretty much your basic offering. Is that right? Well, and that's, I think, the most exciting part of the business. We started the business to really flip the industry upside down. And we looked at the cleaning industry and the cleaning category overall. And the key question that we asked was, why is it that the big brands are shipping products that are 98% water? And so when we launched the company, we were very, very narrow in our approach. And we wanted to solve it from a supply chain perspective and really a overall value perspective for the consumer. So you're absolutely right. When you think about the bottled Windex sitting on the retail shelf, that product is 98% water and it's gone through the entire supply chain as a ready to use bottle. What we do is we simply sell the concentrate. It's a much better way of doing it. The impact on the supply chain is much less, which ultimately means that the consumer gets a better product for a better price. Now, the exciting part is we've since launched completely new product categories and we're following that same game plan, which is optimizing around the supply chain, make it incredibly efficient to move products from point A to Z all the way into the home. Uh, so we've launched, since we last talked, new laundry products, automatic dishwasher products. And believe it or not, Tom, I know last time I was on the show, you all loved the name of the product. We actually created a new toilet cleaning product called Reporting for Duty. And it is <laughs> one of our top, it's one of our top selling products. Oh, that's fantastic. I th I think you should win some awards just just for the naming uh <laughs> talent uh that you you've displayed. Now, um obviously for the last several months uh we've all been dealing with this uh pesky little coronavirus and uh you know, you, you think cleaning supplies, you think coronavirus it would seem to me uh, that this has been quite the business opportunity for, for Truman's. Yeah, that's right. Um, but I would say the greater purpose in what we do is delivering on a better supply chain. So look, there are certain categories like cleaning products that have absolutely benefited from increased demand. And you think about not only has there been an overall surge of buying, as it relates to certain product categories, um, paper-based products like toilet paper, paper towels, but cleaning su supplies in general. Now, the reality is a lot of those products were sold through e-commerce channels. As people were afraid to leave their homes, but looking for products that obviously fit a need in the household, they bought online. And what we all saw, whether it was trying to buy from Walmart or from Amazon or from Target, we saw a tremendous out-of-stock situation. And the main driver of that is supply chain complexity. A lot of these products simply can't move through the supply chain fast enough. And so while on one hand, I feel very lucky that we sell cleaning products and right now at this moment in time, cleaning products are in demand, I actually feel much more bullish on our business model overall. Because I think what COVID and the coronavirus has exposed is a real weakness in our supply chain and a lack of agility and the inability for so many of these big companies to get out of their own way and get products moving through the supply chain. Look, Tom, in the end of it all, the consumer loses 
when we have a supply chain that is broken. And why I say they lose, products don't get to them fast enough. And frankly, the products are higher priced because there is so much friction in the supply chain. Without um, getting too technical about it, why don't you describe uh, a few instances or, or uh, situations uh, which occur, and try to be as specific as you can, uh, that tend to slow down the supply chain? Because, you know, the average person listening to this show, and I'm among them, doesn't really understand where things come from, you know, we, we still think uh, milk comes from the grocery store. And, um, if you would kind of tell me maybe how it worked when times were good and how it's not working so good now, and just be a little bit specific about it. Yeah. I, I think it's super helpful because you're right. We, we take it for granted and we take our ability to, find products and have products be readily available for granted every single day. And the best example I can give is before COVID, before coronavirus, you could walk into a Walmart and if you wanted to buy cleaning products, there were plenty of cleaning products on the shelf. And ultimately the manufacturers optimized around a certain buying behavior. So if you look at cleaning as a category, it's fairly stable year over year. Uh, the U.S. population grows a little bit and the category grows a little bit and manufacturers can time their entire supply chain around consumer demand. And fast forward to coronavirus, what you saw was extreme spike in demand. So all the products that were sitting on the shelf, people went in and they bought. And what that meant was the products that were then in the distribution center, the next step up had to move to the retail shelf in a much faster manner. And so that required trucks to move the product from distribution centers to the retail environment, ultimately to try to refill the shelf. And then by the way, the distribution center then called the manufacturer and said, we need more product. The hardest part in that scenario, and I'm specifically talking about the products that you can recognize, like a Windex bottle, as an example. When it is a ready-to-use product, it's larger than it has to be. And so to fill the space in the retail shelf, because it's larger than it has to be, and it's in ready-to-use form, which is what you alluded to earlier, the fact that there's water already added. You're not adding the water at your home like you do with our products. It takes up more shelf space because it takes up more shelf space. You can't have as many unique products on the shelf. And that goes all the way up the supply chain because it is larger and has a more uh, increased volume. You're filling trucks with fewer products. You're filling distribution centers with fewer products and your manufacturing line can't move as quickly and you can't move as many products through uh, the supply chain. So ultimately what happens is we have, more trucks on the road, moving more product simply because they're larger than they need to be. And so if we can shrink the size of product, what ends up happening is more products can fit on a shelf, less trucks are needed to move those products from point A to B, less 
distribution centers are needed to move from manufacturing through distribution through the retail shelf. And ultimately what you end up is with is a much more efficient model. So products can move faster through the cycle. Now in that Windex example, the consumer is actually paying for all of that friction. Right. The consumer's paying for more trucks. They're paying for more distribution centers. And ultimately what we learned in COVID they're paying the price because it's not available. That's right. And so what it, what it has done is it's exposed a real weakness in our economy in that we're not able to be as agile as we need to be. And so, frankly, we, yeah, go ahead. So basically what you guys have done, which I think is kind of the genius of the, of the approach is you've taken the biggest, bulkiest element, which is water out of the equation and moved it out of the um, supply chain and said, consumer, you add the water locally at your home. We're not going to ship it and clog up the, um, you know, clog up the trucking lanes, clog up the uh, assembly lines or whatever, however this stuff goes through with with water we're we're going to let you add that part that's right and and, and, and tom and that's right we studied and researched markets throughout the united states and 90 plus percent have optimal water and about 99 percent have water that is perfect uh perfectly fine for uh this type of activity and so there's really no need for consumers to be experiencing the hardship associated with companies just not thinking wisely about the supply chain. And look, we can find other supply chains that are broken. I, as, I, as I suggested, I think the coronavirus has been frustrating for a lot of different reasons and all variables of life. But the bottom line is we, we live in a country that is driven by consumer spending from yep. an economic perspective, 70%, 70% of all spending, uh, it, that's been the number I've heard for years. That's right. And so ultimately what we need is we need a competitive advantage of manufacturing in the United States. And we need a competitive advantage of supply chain in the United States. And we need companies to think very, very critically about how to get product flowing as efficiently as possible. It's frankly unacceptable in the U S that customers can't get products they need at any point. We should be prepared for any situation to allow customers to get the products they need. Well, but could it be that kind of the Neanderthal nature of, uh, you know, When's the last time you heard of somebody really changing the supply chain? You know, I can think of just in time, uh, manufacturing, which, which started in the computer industry and, and moved into, uh, automobiles and, and all kinds of things where, where they basically said, we don't want to own that part until it goes into that car or that computer. And, and that was a big uh, step forward. But, um, you know, uh, with, with consumer goods, it, it, it seems to me, you know, you, you, th 
you, you make it, you throw it on a truck and you take it to a distribution center and it gets on the shelf somewhere. And, uh, the, the client, the, uh, customer comes and buys it with your thing. They, uh, they look on the internet, they, they order it. It gets there in a couple of days with the bottle and they fill it with water. I mean, to me, that's just genius. It's, it's abs and it's really most people who are geniuses say that they're not geniuses, that they just, uh, do something because it seemed to make sense, but it, it, it doesn't make sense to everybody. It, it had to make sense to one person who did it, but you know, in order for there to be a, a big change in the delivery, uh, system of, of consumer goods, um, it's going to take a lot of people thinking outside the box. I mean, you know, um, there are some things you can't assemble at home. You know, you have to get it in a completely finished product, like a shirt or something. I mean, I guess you could order the cloth and stitch it together, but, um, <laughs> you know, in, in your case, the, the most lucrative or costly, if you will, part of the, equation, the water gets added right at the end. And That's uh, right. you got to have more people, uh, thinking along those lines, you know, to, to, to fix the supply chain. The big thing I'm concerned about these days is food. Um, you know, you, you hear these, uh, reports of where they had to plow under all this stuff or kill all these pigs. Cause, cause they couldn't, uh, the restaurants wouldn't take them and that kind of thing. And, and, and that's stuff that should not be going on in the United States. Well, there's a clog in the processing plants is what apparently is happening because, a because lot of the workers were getting COVID and a lot of them, they, they wouldn't work at a meat packing plant because it was considered unsafe. So how do you fix well, that, John? Yeah. Yeah. Well, while well, we're at it. No, look, I think it, when you look at the food system, there's a lot of layers to it. And I think there's a lot of missed opportunity. And, you know, when we think about the different layers of the food system, I, I think it requires different discussions. And, you know, I would take uh, traditional uh, farming as it relates to greens. So uh, think about arugula, think about romaine, think about products that bib lettuce that can actually be grown in a much more advanced micro factory. I think we need to get a lot smarter about the food chain, food supply chain related to the product category that it's in rather than looking at it holistically as a one size fits all approach. So your example of the, the farm with the pigs and the process, the meat processing facility that handles that, that may need to be centralized. But I think there are other aspects of the food chain that can actually be localized. And once it's localized and you can grow products more rapidly, get them from point A to B more efficiently, you're going to end up with more uh, higher quality, uh, more availability, so better availability and a better price for the consumer. And by the way, the product's going to be fresh. And so I, I really think as it relates to the supply chain, what happened is you had massive consolidation at the top. That consolidation was then kind of imagined to be one size fits all. And then now you fast forward to situations like we're in today 
if you have one processing facility that's impacted, that impacts the supply chain. Yeah. Whereas if, if you if you take product categories that can be decentralized, look, you're in Lexington, Kentucky. There is plenty of real estate available in Lexington, Kentucky. You can have hydroponic farms growing certain fruits and vegetables in Lexington and, and serving the Lexington market. And you could actually do it at a rate that is more economical and it ultimately increases uh, flexibility it increases uh, product velocity and ultimately provides better value for the consumer. Now, meat processing, maybe not, but there certainly are some product categories that can be decentralized and made much more efficient, and that would be a radical change in the supply chain. Well, and getting back to the, the hydroponic, there is a facility here um, that is down near West 6th Street Brewery, I think, that is doing that very thing they're using. Well, they got one up at Moorhead that it, they're talking about supplying two or three states. It, right. It's massive. And, and, and then from a meat perspective, um, the pro, even the local area processing plants are backed up six months. So I don't know what right. the what the um, – I, I think it's just where they've had to shut down and because of illness. Um but there's definitely a need to reevaluate all of this. And if, if nothing positive other than that comes from this coronavirus, then I think that it might serve us in that aspect anyway. Well, I think, I think it's inspiring a lot of companies. You know, when, when you talk about the, the realities of, of what we're all facing with, and you think about six months, backlogs i can i can tell you i talked to a lot of ceos of companies and in so many different categories they're facing backlogs and it, it can be related to actual physical goods it can be related to process so as an example we're working on a deal that's outside the united states and there is a backlog as it relates to regulatory filings because regulatory filings have been slowed down and so what i think this is exposed is just we became complacent and we really haven't pushed innovation as hard as innovation can be pushed. And look, I, I think it's, it's, if, if we find positive in any moment in time, I think the positive in this moment in time is that it serves as a battle cry and a reminder that we've got to step up and think about doing things in a different way. Hey, John, that's a great place to take a break. We need to go to a commercial break at the bottom of the hour. You're listening to the Tom Dupree Show, powered by Dupree Financial Group. Stay tuned. We'll be back in just a few minutes with more from John Bostock. This is now Kamala Harris. I'm prepared to fight. As vice president, so I was a little surprised that he picked her. This is tomorrow. Assistant for those who are unemployed. Stop the violence. Vaccine candidates. Classes this fall. This is your world. The latest on all this and more. This is the moment. This is too important. Coming up at the top of the hour. Let's break this down. Because this matters. News Radio 630 WLAP. We live in uncertain times. It is not uncommon for investors to be fearful about the equity markets and what they may or may not do. At Dupree Financial Group, we are here to act as a sounding board for our clients and prospects as they seek to develop understanding of how to proceed with their investments. Since we are in uncharted waters, our efforts are to educate, guide, and empower our clients. Despite the unique nature of today's investment climate, 
there are parallels with past markets that can be drawn. We can share some of these ideas with you. For a free analysis of your retirement investment accounts, call the Prefinancial Group at 859-233-0400. And be sure to listen to The Tom Dupree Show, Saturdays from 7 to 9 a.m. at News Radio 630 WLAP. That's the Prefinancial Group at 859-233-0400. iHeartRadio is the number one choice for music, radio, and podcasts, all in one. No one makes it easier to hear everything you love in one free app everything I need. I guess one of my favorite things about the podcast is that I can download them to my phone. I don't have to worry about not having internet. ESPN's 30 for 30 podcast is great. My boyfriend and I love it. Any podcast you could possibly imagine is right there in front of you. If you're not one of the tens of millions who have the app, download iHeartRadio for free today and start listening. iHeartRadio Hi, Doug Flynn for J&H Outdoors, your headquarters for everything you need for the outdoors. Top quality tents, backpacks, sandals, hiking boots, sunglasses, hammocks, and so much more. Come see why our customers count on us for great customer service and selection. We even offer curbside service, and you can order online at jhoutdoors.com. J&H Outdoor Store, more drive just off Nicholasville Road. Turn between Raising Canes and Wendy's. J&H Outdoor Store. The Kentucky Organ Donor Affiliates and Kentucky Circuit Court Clerks Trust for Life have always cared about educating Kentucky about organ and tissue donation. They care for your family, friends, neighbors, and even strangers. Over 1,000 Kentuckians across the state are waiting for a life-saving donation today. There are a lot of ways to show how you care by registering today at DonateLifeKY.org. That's DonateLifeKY.org. Score your virtual ticket to be a part of music history on the Capital One Fan Wall. An interactive video experience with our superstar 2020 iHeartRadio Music Festival lineup. Win your front row seat at iHeartRadio.com slash festival. I just stopped at Ariat Brand Shop at the Summit at Fritz Farm and got some awesome new clothes and shoes. It's Drew Franklin and I just love my new tech polo, jeans, and cruisers, all from Ariat. And right now you can save 20% off men's casual shoes at Ariat Brand Shop. We'll have another active day of scattered showers and thunderstorms out there. Won't be raining all day. We'll still feature some dry time, but if we see those storms, we'll be able to produce uh, heavy rainfall and some localized high water issues will be possible as well. As far as highs today, going to be staying on the semi-cooler side. Highs only topping out into the upper 70s and lower 80s. From the WKYT First Alert Weather Center, I'm meteorologist Adam Bernstein. Broadcasting live 24-7 from the heart of Big Blue Nation. This is News Radio 630 WLAP, an iHeart Radio station. I'm Governor Andy Bashir. What if you had COVID-19 and didn't know it? Would you act differently if you did know? The fact is many Kentuckians are symptom-free carriers, unknowingly spreading the disease to our most vulnerable and holding back our economy. None of us want that. So wear a mask, help slow the spread, do it for your loved ones, do it for Kentucky's economy, do it for you. Let's mask up, Kentucky. When you're stressed, you just don't feel like yourself. New Natrol Relaxia, a full line of drug-free supplements to help you manage occasional stress and anxiety. A special blend of herbals keeps you feeling calm and balanced throughout the day. Because when there's less stress, there's more you. Try new Natrol Relaxia. Learn more at relaxiamood.com. 
These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. They had snuck in in the night and committed these murders. Nobody had a clue about a who or a why. You got eight people dead, and uh, things like that don't usually happen in a small town. I mean, they don't usually happen anywhere. Somebody was trying to send a message. I, I don't think there can be any doubt about that. They couldn't have written a more sinister story than what's playing out in Pike County, Ohio right now. Find the Piketon Massacre on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the home of the Wildcats, 630 WLAP. Back to the Tom Dupree Show for the second half of the hour. Joining us is John Bostock, who is Renaissance man, man of many talents. Uh, Elephant's Dilemma is his new book, and we're going to talk a little bit about that this segment. Come on. Go on, Tom. Go on. Uh, John, um, I, I hold in my hand this book, The Elephant's Dilemma, Break Free and Reimagine Your Future at Work. Um, you know, that's... Obviously, something that uh, uh, we as uh, business owners would be happy to have our employees do from time to time, uh, and you know, and, and and we as business owners also would would do well to do it. Tell tell me a little bit about what you talk about in this book and the points you're trying to make. Yeah, look, you know, before we we took a break, I, I talked about looking at moments of, in, in time and really looking for the good and saying that this should serve as a battle cry to do something different. For me, when I started my career, I really wanted to make a broader impact. And I really wanted to be able to look back on my career and feel like I, I actually made a difference. And I, I, by the way, I can tell that with everything you do and to your credit, I think you are making a difference. And uh, so keep at it. Well, look, I appreciate that. And what I can tell you is it wasn't always that easy getting to this point. And that's really what the book explores. Right out of school, I tried to be an entrepreneur. And like so many entrepreneurs, I failed and went back to business school. And I found myself at GE. Now, GE is a huge company, but year after year, I kept asking, why am I a big part of this big machine? And not really feeling like I make an impact. And on paper, my career looked great. Uh, I was making good money, but I wasn't feeling like I was contributing. But I didn't have the courage to, to leave. And in this case, the book, I didn't have the courage to break free. And the whole title, even the concept of the elephant's dilemma is that, you know, if you think about the, an elephant at the zoo, it's trained to be tethered to a pole. And so by the time it gets to be big and strong, still believes it's tethered to the pole and can't break free. And so many of us in our work are like that. And so for me, I found myself at GE. I wanted to do something different. And I really started reflecting on the past and thinking about the leaps that our ancestors took to ultimately get us to where we are. Absolutely. You know, and it hit me, 
And it hit me that, you know, my grandmother, as an example, left Belarus, went through Russia, then Japan, found her way to the United States with nothing. That's extraordinary risk. And she took that risk not only for herself, but to make the world a better place for her family and future generations. And here I am at GE getting paid a lot of money, wanting to do something different, but feeling like I didn't have the courage to take that step. And I thought, how is it that she could take the step not only outside of her home, but outside of her home country with nothing? And we've shifted our risk profile so significantly that we can't leave a big corporate job. And so I finally developed the courage to leave. I went to a company based in Lexington and worked with a founder, a very, very bright individual to help restructure the company and sell it. And we did that. And that gave me the confidence to then do something bigger. And so the book really explores my journey. It talks about how to start taking steps, how to think about innovation. If you want to do something bigger, some things that you can do practically to start moving in that direction. But you know, it, number one, it, it serves as, you know, a reality check that we're all feeling stuck. But then it also serves as a bow try to say there's a there's a different way to do things and there's a different way to look at the world. You know, uh, your um, your story about your grandmother uh, reminds me of, of my grandmother, whom I never knew, um, who had had a very difficult uh a pregnancy with my uncle who was older than my dad. And then she became pregnant with my dad. This was in 1930. And uh, her doctors uh, recommended that she terminate the pregnancy. And uh, she uh, uh, spent time meditating on it and praying on it and decided, no, that she would not. She would, uh, go ahead and, and have the baby. And, and then she died three days later. And, uh, and you think about, uh, that generation and, and the people in it that, um, you know, gave up literally their lives and, and, uh, great parts of their lives to do something better for their families. And, uh, you know, I feel pretty puny with, with, with my little, uh, problems sometimes. And, uh, and, and it kind of takes me to the next thing I was going to talk about. And it's, it's, it's what we see today in terms of, of, uh, politics and sort of our national, um, uh, climate, if you will. Um, the, uh, the ideas of self-sacrifice and um, laying down one, one's lives for other people or principles or things like that uh, is not very prevalent. It, it seems to be more uh, based around, um, you know, I want this, this is my demand. I demand that you do this. And, uh, um, and the, the, the courtesies uh, that went along with people like that who, who simply didn't demand things, they, they were courteous and caring of their family and other people. And so 
it just seems that um, we got a long way to go to to catch up to our ancestors, if you will. I think you're right. And unfortunately, I think we've shifted our perception of what doing well means. And I oftentimes, and I talk about this in the book, but I oftentimes think that for the most part, families think they're doing well if their kids are in a great school, they're putting money aside for their kids to go to college, and they feel like they're doing what they can within their own household. And I think what the average person misses is that that little bubble does not define success more broadly. Wow. That's, and, that's a huge, that is a huge insight right there. Well, look, I, you know, Tom, the challenge is, and I've got a nine year old and a four year old and I've been lucky in my career and I am extraordinarily lucky about the benefits that I've received based on the sacrifices that my ancestors have made. My kids will never face hardship, hopefully like the hardship my ancestors face. But the bottom line is that no matter how much I have today, if my neighbors are not doing well, if the city of New Orleans in which we live is riddled with violence and disease and homelessness, it doesn't matter if I put money aside for my kids and they've got the ability to go to college and it's paid for if the city, the state, the country that they live in is a mess, then have I really done enough to make the world a better place for them? And so I think what's happened is we have shifted to look at success as what's happening inside the walls in which we live. And we've got to break out of the bubble and move back to what you alluded to, which is much more of a community-based view of the world. Yeah, I, uh, there was, um, in that same family lineage, uh, on my uh, grandfather's side, um, they lived in a little town in western Kentucky on the Mississippi River called Columbus, and um, his father ran a general store and, um, you know, he frequently extended, uh, credit to people, uh, probably beyond what he should have as a businessman, but, uh, what his conscience would, uh, dictated that he do. And, um, when he passed away, uh, they said that the church was, uh, packed and it was as many black as white, and um, it was not only packed, but it was outside the church and everywhere. And the funny thing was, this guy was not a churchman. On uh, on sa- on Sunday mornings, he would be uh, fishing or duck hunting while his wife was in church. But <laughs> when when he got uh, uh, buried. Um, it, the church was packed. So, um, you know, uh, and it makes me feel good to, to know that, that somebody, you know, in my lineage, uh, did something right. Mm-hmm. So that's right. Um, let me ask you a question. Um, uh, 
do you think uh do you, do you do you think no matter who gets elected uh in the in the fall that um the divisions can be put to rest or do you think this is a a permanent thing in american politics and in, in american life oh no i i think i think this is one of many uh, tough periods that we're facing as it relates to, to politics. Look, here's, here's the reality. I think in general, the human brain feels at comfort when there's context, consistency, and clarity. From a neuroscience perspective, being a communicator, what people are told is that, look, people need to know that there's a clear message it's a consistent message and they understand why that message is being delivered. We're simply in time where there's a lot of confusion. And I think that unfortunately we've got a for-profit media set up where the more dynamic and, and more shocking the headline is, it ultimately drives profitability. I think we're in a very difficult time, but for the most part, I think the, the frustration that people feel is just the lack of context, lack of consistency. And, you know, what I always joke to my wife is that we need to move back to a time where politicians are boring and wonky. The idea of the idea of Washington being like the WWE does not work. It is not set up to be a uh, soap opera. It is not set up to be a uh, an entertainment spectacle. It's it's really supposed to govern based on the law and based on the Constitution. And so I, I ultimately think that we need our politicians to take a step back from trying to be celebrities, uh, focused on the law, and ultimately provide context, clarity, and consistency. Uh, to the rest of us here in the U.S. who are trying to do our part and 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 fit into the box that we live in. I, look, if if these if these individuals in Congress and in the Senate, uh, they if they want to be celebrities, they should move out to L.A. and <laughs> and get a Netflix special because right. I think they that got all the money the, these days. <laughs> Netflix. Yeah, well, Netflix does. You talk about changing the supply chain. It's a great story on it, which we'll have to cover some other time, but. You know, Tom, I think the bottom line is the country is strong. The Constitution is strong. Um, we, we simply need um, to be united, and we need a singular focus on uniting the country, providing clarity, context, and consistency. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on that one. So speaking of doing your part, what lies ahead for for Truman's uh the, the brand. I, I wanted to get back to that just for a little bit. Yeah. So look, we're going to continue to innovate. We're going to continue to delight customers, get products to them that, that they love. We've got one of the best customer service platforms that helps customers out with any issues. We've got some new exciting products coming out in the next month or so 
as I mentioned, we're working on a deal that puts Truman's outside of the U.S. So there's a lot of, of celebrations ahead that we can't wait to share with with everyone, including you. That's great. Uh, and that's uh, you can find information about John's company at www.trumans.com. Is that that's great? It's just Truman's, right, John? Truman's, just like Harry Truman, but with an S. So Truman's.com. And you know what's? Well, I hate to make an admission, but um, my computer just pops up to it, so I don't even have to put the whole word in. <laughs> that's why I had to check about <laughs> what the site exactly said. But I am a um, devoted consumer, and every time you can ask Tom, that's why he knows about all the colors oh, of yeah. the bottles. And yeah, I've learned to use it, and uh, and, and I like it. Yeah, the, you know, the, the spray it in the shower while you're taking the shower and it takes the ease off the job. And the uh, the floor cleaner is my absolute favorite. Yeah. And the windows, the windows are good and the kitchen sink is good, too. It's all good. Well, it's great. I'm, I'm so glad that Tom's doing more cleaning in the house now that, that he's spending more time indoors. So that's wonderful uh, to hear. Now I, that it's fun. Yeah, don't get your, <laughs> don't, don't get your hopes too up. Yeah. But he is participating, and that, that's a good thing. That's right. Absolutely. Participation is um, an upgrade for sure. But, you know, when you're in the house all the time uh, with something like what we've been through, you, you do notice the baseboards need this and um, the upholstery needs that. And hey, hey, come up with an upholstery cleaner, John. That would be great. We are working on it, Elizabeth. We, uh, we are. I'll have to send you some demos. No, well, I'm, I'm all for that. You know all about that. You know, John, uh, I just want to applaud you on uh, sort of being um, – you know, transparent about what it took to go from just being a corporate worker uh, to an entrepreneur and the, and the fact that you started and tried to do it initially and then didn't make it and went back to business school. Those are discussions that, you know, if, if people will listen to those, um, you know, they'll realize that, uh, I mean, it took me forever to open my own business. I was 48 years old, scared to death, even at that age. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I'd been in the brokerage business for 25 years. And then the company that we started with, when we started, they were wanting to rope us back into the old yoke of slavery, if you will, that, uh, you, you had in the brokerage business and we had to break away from that. And, uh, every time you uh, take a step forward, uh, in your career or in your life and you're, you're making progress, if you will, it's usually painful and, um, not pleasant. There, there can be some elements of it that aren't so pleasant, but, um, yeah, it, it it's generally worth it. And, uh, it's just good to discuss, uh, frankly, those thoughts and feelings and what goes into it. Absolutely. And I think, Tom, what, what you also bring up is the leap that you took. You really need to surround yourself with those people who will support you and those people who will be kind and cheer you on. Because, look, it's hard enough 
for you to take the leap and it's hard enough to not beat yourself up. You know, I think about decisions that I've made and I criticize myself. In fact, I, I was a college baseball player. I actually threw an inning this past Sunday in an adult baseball game and I'm still kicking myself on, <laughs> on that, I, that I hit somebody on an 0-2 count. We beat ourselves up and here I am, 43 years old, haven't played baseball in 20 years, and I'm criticizing myself the fact that I hit somebody on an 0-2 count and, and I should just be applauding the fact that I was out there on the field to begin with. And so, you know, I think, Tom, we beat ourselves up enough. What we also need are people who are going to cheer us on. And we need to surround ourselves um, with an ecosystem that really supports this concept and this idea. Yeah, I agree with you. Hey, John, I think it's a win you didn't end up with a torn rotator cuff or a ruptured Achilles or, <laughs> some, or something. But, yeah, but, all you did was hit the guy. Yeah, that, you're, that, you're, you're way ahead. That, that's, that is completely a win. Uh, John, <laughs> we always, always love um, having you on the show, talking to you. Um, I am so grateful to have you as a friend. Uh, even though you're miles away, we'll, we'll still talk to you. And we'll still, even though you were here a short time, claim you as a Kentuckian. Um, <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, he, John moved back. His wife is actually from Louisiana. Um, he moved back to his, to, with his, closer to his wife's family. So uh, we'll, we'll give you a pass for that. But, but, you know, fun fact, Elizabeth, the company Truman's is based in Kentucky. So I, know that. I do right. have that connection. I know that. Well, we thank you for joining us. Um, you've been listening to John Bostock with Tom Dupree on the Tom Dupree Show, powered by Dupree Financial Group. We've got our uh, Dupree gang joining us for the second hour. And after this commercial break, we'll be back with another hour of the Tom Dupree Show. Stay tuned. This. I accept this nomination. Is what's happening. The whole of the Democratic National Convention. Pretty boring when you do tape. Get the very latest. Steve Bannon is a fraud. I haven't been dealing with him at all. Check in often. Most almost can handle this. With News Radio 630 WLAP. Hi, this is Tom Dupree with Dupree Financial Group. Many people have 401k and 403b plans for their retirement investment accounts. In certain cases, our firm can help participants in these plans manage their investments. This can be helpful because those retirement plans often offer numerous different mutual funds as investment options, and unless the participant is an investment expert, it can be quite confusing. In this case, we put our investment expertise to work for you, the participant. For a free analysis of your retirement investment accounts, call Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400. Also, be sure to listen to the Tom Dupree Show Saturdays from 7 to 9 a.m. at News Radio 630 WLAP or WLAP.com. That's Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400.